This morning, as we continue our way through the book of Ephesians, uh, I want to remind you of some truths about Ephesians you might have forgot. Remember, Ephesians is written by Paul. Uh, it is a letter to the church in Ephesus. It is not a letter to us, but it is written for us. And under the Spirit of God, the book of Ephesians is written in a very specific way, a way many of Paul's epistles and others are written, uh, and in a way that, that models for us much of what the Christian life is. As you look at the book of Ephesians and read it, you will see in chapters 1 through 3, uh, there are very little, if any, commands to you about how you should live. Ephesians 1 through 3 is doctrinal truth about what Christ has done, what God has planned and purposed that you would be saved. Though you were dead in your sins and trespasses, the mercy of God has called and saved and redeemed those who are Christ's, not according to their will, but by his plan. And they've been united together as Christ's people. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, we have a particular statement that says, Therefore, by the mercies of God, we are to live according to the call. Live in a way that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so for several weeks before the membership series, we were working our way through Ephesians chapter 4 and into chapter 5 about the character of a Christian, the life of a Christian, how we should live, what should character our lives in repentance and faith. And as we come to the end of chapter 5, the commands that are given become even more specific. They move from the general truth that all Christians must live in faith and repentance, that their lives and works must be transformed because what God has done. And as we move to the end of 5, it becomes very specific about specific relationships of your life, specific relationships of your function in society, specific things about you and what it looks like to manifest God in those things. And so maybe you notice this morning, uh, as, you, as we read the passage, uh, two, two things here. One, a call of submission of all Christians to one another, and then a call of wives to submit to their husband. These are true and affirmed and real commands from the Word of God. These are things we must deal with and we must understand and we must say what does this mean for our lives this is a continuation of what paul said we ought to walk in a manner worthy of our calling and so to walk in a manner that is according to how christ has called us then we want to understand what what god is saying and what he means when he calls us to be a submissive people and then also to submit in particular relationships why does god do that what is his plan and purpose in that? Right? The command is very clear. As it says that we ought to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we ought to, uh, you think about submission and it's defined in your handout. Submission is to place oneself under the will or authority of another. So you're to place yourself under the will of others. Why? It tells you out of reverence for Christ. And then we have very specific commands that wives are to place their will under the will or authority of another, who, a husband, why? Because they are to reflect what Christ has done. As the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of his body, his church. So now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husband. And many times in society and in history, uh, this would not be controversial for me to say. In our time in society, this is very controversial. Uh, this is an area of God's word as mankind tries to live by their own will and their own desires. There are different parts of God's word uh, that they don't like. They don't want to live by. And in our society particularly, this is a section that people don't like. They don't like the idea of submission. And so we need to think very carefully about how we communicate about submission, what submission means, uh, why is submission a Christian value and character? What is the truth about submission? We need to have a clear theology or a clear worldview, a clear understanding of why submission matters. And so my plan this morning is to walk through together uh, through a few points that we need to understand about submission. Three foundational truths for a biblical theology of submission. Because submission is commanded in two places here. First, it is commanded for all Christians to submit to one another. And then it is commanded for wives to submit to their husbands. 
In both of those, you see that it is first out of reverence for Christ, out of an observation and acknowledgement as uh, we are commanded in the Great Commission to learn to obey all that he has commanded. We are to love him and honor him and seek to glorify him. And so out of reverence for Christ, out of an acknowledgement, a respect, an understanding, a love, an affection for Christ, we're to submit to one another. And then we see also here that wives submit to their husbands. Why? They submit just as Christ is the head of the church. Wives reflect the church. And this becomes even more clear as you read on. You can cheat ahead. It's open book to the end of Ephesians 5 as it is declared that this is a mystery, that the relationship between a husband and wife is a declaration of God's plan for salvation with Christ and his church. So we need to have a great understanding of what this means and why would these things be true. We need to have a worldview that is tempered by what God has said, not what the world has said. And I want you to think about how you interpret life. When you walk into a situation and something happens, what is the worldview, the filter that interprets that situation for you? Is it song lyrics? Are you right? Many of us love music. We listen to lots of it. So we walk into situations and what pops into your head? Song lyrics. You interpret life through lyrics of songs. Maybe it's movies and media. You know, I have many friends who love film. They're in film. And when we're in situations, they're always bringing up a film and how this correlates to that. Or they see that or they think about that. Maybe it's history and news media. That everything you're seeing, you are interpreting through the news and through uh, historians and through media and through talk radio and these things. Maybe it's through books, other books and college educations and whatever else your educational system looked like growing up and into your adult life. You need to think about how do I interpret the world? What in my life causes me to have a response to something and go, that makes me feel this way, that makes me think this way, that makes me interpret it this way. What is it? I think if we think about our world currently, our world hates submission. They hate it. They hate the idea of it. They cannot deny the necessity of it, but they don't have a category to put it in that is anything but hatred. They hate that it exists. They view it as a necessary evil. It's occasionally necessary, but it's evil overall. The world cannot find any place for equality and submission to exist. They have no category to understand that two equal parties could live in a, a relationship of authority and submission. They can't categorize that. They have no understanding because the world views, the world views authority as only an abuse of power. That currently, if you are in authority, that you have power, it's because you have abused some power at some time. And so now authority takes advantage of the weak. And that our world is a big chaotic power struggle with those who have power trying to put those who don't under their submission. The world only has evil categories for submission. They view it as a necessary evil. And as Christians, you should know without Christ, there are only evil categories to categorize in. Without Christ, the world is left in sin and decay and destruction. And so there is no place to find a category where we could say, how could authority and submission exist without some kind of evil? How could someone have someone else under their will without evil functioning? And maybe you feel the same. Maybe even this morning, as Daniel read and I read, wives, submit to your own husbands. What, what happens in your heart? As people are familiar with this idea, and we call it biblical, or uh, some people say traditional views of marriage, we're familiar with it. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands are to lead. When I say that just clearly and, and blatantly out loud, what happens in your heart? Maybe you have relief. Maybe you're thankful to hear the truth clearly stated. 
Maybe it just brings relief to say, I wish people would just say the truth out loud, right? Maybe you have reservations. Maybe you have concerns. You think, well, you've got to be careful. What do you mean by that? How is that understood? And maybe you meet it with disdain. You hate the fact that anyone would say out loud that the appropriate relationship for a husband and wife is that a wife would submit to her husband and a husband would lead. All of those categories could be where you land. All of those categories could be even a Christian dealing with their heart. You could land in those places. But as Christians, we don't want our understanding. We don't want our response to such words as wives are to submit to husband to be motivated by anything but the word of God. So we need to have a clear and biblical theology of submission. We need to have a clear and biblical understanding that we can look at the world and interpret it through what God has said. That's what I mean when I say a theology of something. You, to have a theology of something means you have to understand what God has communicated about this to be true so that you can function in it in a way that is good and honoring to Him. And so as Christians, we cannot afford uh, to just meet this at the surface and let our heart's response be the answer to how we feel about it. We must surrender to the truth of God to say, what has God taught us about submission? So we can interpret the truth of the world by His Word and under His authority. So this morning, we're not going to make it into uh, wives submitting to husbands. We're going to spend the next couple weeks and the weeks following that talking about marriage and family as Ephesians is talking about that and how we live in that and why God has designed things that way. This morning, we're just going to look at three simple points, three things I think are foundational truths you must know about submission. Three simple truths that must be the foundation of your theology, your view of the world when you think about submission. So let me read the passage again, and then uh, with, with me we'll walk through these, through point, these three points. Number one, the nature of God's relationship to man demands submission. The nature of God's relationship to man demands submission. Then we'll look at the nature of God in the Trinity displays the beauty of submission. The nature of God in the Trinity displays the beauty of submission. And then lastly, the nature of God's love is displayed in the submission of his people. So let's pray that God would give grace, uh, that he would help my words to be clear, that there would be no offense outside of the gospel. Uh, because when the gospel offends, that is when people repent. That is when people recognize they need Christ. Uh, but when I offend, that only causes confusion. So let's pray that God would give grace in our words, uh, grace to our hearts this morning, that we might, I might be able to speak this morning, your heart might be transformed in such a way that we could declare the truth of the gospel, and declare it clearly in all areas, even those practical areas like submission. But we're not going to be able to do that without His help. So let me pray, and pray with me that God might be faithful in such a way as He has proven to be faithful in the past. Father, we thank You that You are a God who is good and faithful. I pray, Lord, as I wrestle through this text and I think about our time and our time together, God, I pray that this would be valuably spent together, uh, looking that we might understand what you've said about submission. I pray, Father, that you would give us hearts that long to submit and to surrender to your, world, your word above all things. I pray you would give grace to my words as I seek to speak in a way that would honor you, to represent the truth, Father, to hold fast to the trustworthy word and to rebuke those who contradict. I pray you would give hearts to your people that love and long for the word of God to dwell richly in them, uh, that they might teach one another and admonish one another and care and sing praise to you in truth, that you would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Three foundational truths for a biblical theology of submission. Number one, if you want to look at your handout or just follow along out loud, the nature of God's relationship to man demands submission. The nature of God's relationship to man demands submission. Many people would say, even Christians would say, submission was created at the timing of sin. 
uh, that submission is a matter of, of sin has come, so now someone has to be in charge uh, because of sin. Things have to move forward, and therefore then relationships of authority and submission were created. Uh, but that is not the case. Relationships of authority and submission were perverted in sin like everything else. Relationships of authority and submission existed prior to sin. God created mankind to serve him and to display his glory over all creation. Prior to sin, in Genesis chapter 1, you can look at your handout or in your Bible, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. As you continue to read in Genesis prior to sin, God commands Adam to cultivate the garden and to keep it. He gives him commands of how to live and submit to God's word. That God has commanded, you must care for the entire garden. And there is one tree of the garden you must not eat from. But care for it all and eat from everything else. He is abundantly gracious. And Adam has no question about that, right? Adam submits to that fully prior to sin. He loves that. He cares for the garden. He cares for his wife. If you remember from the book of Genesis, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. They did not feel vulnerable. They did not feel afraid. They freely served the will of God. Adam and Eve submitted to God. They were created to submit to God. And this is just naturally logical. They are His creations, right? What do your creations do? You create things to serve you. And now in sin, you might go, what kind of God would do that? Well, let me encourage you in the spirit and not the flesh, a good and loving and gracious God, a God that desires his goodness and his love and his grace to be displayed over all of the earth. And in doing that, he took mankind and particularly created them that they would be his primary agent of displaying that over all creation. That mankind exists to be the one thing on earth that displays the glory of God in creative power, in knowledge, in understanding, as Daniel preached to us last week, in love, in affection, in cultivation, and even creation. God created the world even prior to sin in some way that Adam cultivated and kept the garden. Adam was, was made to display him, to serve him, to show him. But submission is perverted because of sin. Rebellion and resistance is the way of sin. Prior to sin, there was no rebellion and resistance. There, there was no need to articulate submission in the sense of you have to make a choice to submit or not because it was the will of Adam to submit to God. He longed to. He loved to. It was his joy. But the way of sin condemned Adam and the consequences of sin declared still that Adam is created to serve God. He is his servant. He was made for the glory of God. The difference is, when sin came into the world, one, Adam no longer is nor longs to serve God. But the fact that he is naturally created and is submissive to God does not change. It is only heightened in that Adam will now die. The clarity that all mankind submits to God is not gone with sin. It is perverted because of sin. And in its perversion, life now results not in the continual submission to God and glory to Him and revealing Him and having dominion over all His creation for His glory. How does it end? In death. Genesis chapter 3 proclaims the consequences of sin, the pain rather than pleasure in the purpose of man. While man was created to display God in His image, because of sin, now man has perverted his purpose. As he lives to rebel against the will of God, now there is pain in that rather than pleasure. We see this as God gives proclamation to what is often called the curse, or I would say the consequence of sin. 
Satan will now be lowered from his position that he praised. He will find himself lowered as the snake crawls on its belly. Satan is now revealed as he truly is and always will be God's creature, not equal. Eve, in what she was given by grace from God to be fruitful and multiply, is the command to man. And Eve is the part of man that fulfills that, that she would give birth to children and that man would multiply over the earth. Men and women would cultivate and subdue it in the image of God. What happens in Eve's life? Pain now. What was once a blessing that she would be the instrument to continue to show the image of God as she gave birth to man and woman. Now she gives birth in pain. I'm sorry for you ladies that are pregnant. I'm not trying to bring that to your attention, but we're Christians. We don't deny the truth. So it's going to hurt. Praise God that he still allows dominion and we have epidurals and other things. I encourage you to do all you can to live under the dominion of Christ. So let's not divert from the point. So in that, man is also cursed. In his burden and labor, as man is called to cultivate and to keep the garden with Eve, what does it say? That man will do this by the sweat of his brow with toil and pain. No longer will all creation live to serve God under the control of man, but it will declare to man, you have rebelled from the order of God. And so now when you dig in Minifee, you can remember the cursed earth. Right? I was just digging a trench a few weeks ago, and I was thinking, man, it's great to dig right now. It's the rainy season, meaning we've had two days of rain in this year, and now it's easier to dig. I could dig a trench in a couple hours rather than renting a jackhammer and it taking months. Because the ground is working and functional. And most of the time in Menifee, we have the reminder that the earth is cursed. That the ground does not dig well. That it is hard and it takes toil. And we must fight the earth to do what we were called to do. But I want you to notice at the end of the passage on your handout, Genesis 3, 14 through 19, as it says all those things in verse 19, it says the curse on Adam. And then it says, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Whether man denies that they were created to serve God, whether they deny that they are naturally those who are created to be submissive to God because He is holy and powerful and righteous. He created all things. You are His creature. You don't know how you got here. Well, you do if you know who God is. He made you. He brought you into this world. And unlike people who say it to their children, I brought you into this world and I can take you out, He truly can. He truly is the one who brought you. He is the one you will meet in death. Adam would not go on forever living under the grace and the glory of God. He would one day die and meet God. As he was created from dust, he will be reminded because he will return to the dust. All creation, I I reminded us this week at Colossians, you're going to die. You will return to the dust and you will not be remembered. And that's, I know that hurts people's feelings. I say, nobody's going to remember you. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm trying to wake you up to reality. I want you to raise your hand if you know the name of all four of your grandparents. All four grandparents. Hold it up. High and proud for grandma and grandpa, right? Somebody remembers them. Okay, all eight of your great-grandparents. Wait, there's more than that. Anybody remember eight great-grandparents? Okay, beyond that. What does that go to? I'm so bad at math now. I'm terrified. 32? 16? You don't remember these people. That's my point, okay? Even your own family is going to forget you. There might be one or few who really get into genealogy and they just freak out. They're getting on that family tree stuff and they're trying to figure out everything they can. And they might just have your name. You're going to be forgotten. It is a forever echo to all creation. You don't exist for you, for your praise, for your glory. You exist for God's. While man might want to deny the natural truth that all mankind is made to and must submit to God, he will one day remember. All mankind will know when they stand before God. And so first and foremost, the nature of God's relationship to man demands submission. He is our creator. You must 
submit to God. And if you refuse to, you one day will be submitted to His will. Submission to God before sin was the beautiful state and nature of man. It was what man was made to do. Submission to God after sin is only the grace of God established by the work of Christ. Man can only submit to God by the grace of God established by the work of Christ. Many recognize that they will die and they try with zeal to prove that they can be righteous like God. That they can show themselves holy before God. That they can live. And the failure of this is they do so how? By looking at others. They judge themselves according to their knowledge and they say, I'm, you know, I may do some dumb things like all of us, but I'm not as bad as some people. They judge and they compare themselves to others. They say, if I look at others, I'm okay. What they're doing is they have some knowledge of their sin, but they are not recognizing the righteousness of God. And this is a danger not to the world out there, Christian. This is a danger to you. This was the failure of the Jews. This is the failure of all mankind when he pursues knowledge, even true knowledge, but denies the holiness and the righteousness of God. If you look at your handout, Paul declares this in the book of Romans. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them that they may be saved. Speaking of the Jews, he says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. That being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What does it say? They had a knowledge. They had an understanding. Right? They have a zeal for God. They have some understanding, but it's not according to full knowledge. Because they were ignorant of something. Ignorant of the righteousness and the holiness of God. They thought somehow they could match the holiness of God. Somehow that the word, the law, would proclaim them and put them up to say, now we are holy, now we are acceptable, now we are righteous, now we are like God. It says they did so in ignorance. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, what did they do? They were seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to the righteousness of God. What is submission to the righteousness of God? For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The law was never written, and the Bible proclaims this throughout. It was never written to make you holy. There was no Old Testament text nor any Old Testament sacrifice that could make you right before God. It all was a shadow, as Daniel taught last week, of the things to come. It was all a declaration of unholiness. Every sacrifice was not a declaration that you were okay. If someone is standing in front of you and flinging blood at you, praying that you would be saved, that is not the signal that everything is fine. It is a declaration there is something wrong. Something must be done. And the law that is good and holy was a reminder to them of what is right. But what the Jews would do was look around at the whole world and go, at least we're not like them, right? Christian, when you think of your testimony, do you recognize the nature of God and your need to submit to Him in all things? Is your life one of repentance? Or do you look at the world and say, at least I'm not like them? Of course God will accept me because I'm not like those horrible Republicans, arrogant and evil and racist. I'm not like those foolish Democrats who are selfish and ignorant and racist. I'm not like my neighbor who doesn't care about this or that. I'm not like those people. Christian, the reality of your need to submit to God is not based on your righteousness compared to others. The nature of God declares He is holy and righteous. And you are not. You are dependent. And praise God that He is good and loving and faithful. That in Christ, righteousness has been made attainable for man because it was given to Him through Christ. That He paid the perfect and righteous sacrifice. All mankind will submit to God because He is holy, 
He is righteous. He is not like us. Submission, again, is not a result only of the powerful over the weak. Right? You might hear this and go, yep, that's what submission is. God's the powerful and we're the weak, so God's just exerting His power over us. That's the heart of sin that, that understands God in sin and rebellion. And I want to encourage you, Christian, you can meet that with truth. Because submission is not always a matter of the naturally weak submitting to the naturally powerful. Submission is often and has always before creation existed in beauty within the Trinity. Point number two, what you must understand about submission is it is not rooted in who you are. It is rooted in who God is. The nature of God in the Trinity displays the beauty of submission. Point number two, you must understand that the nature of God in the Trinity displays the beauty of submission. Christ is the Son. In deity, He is equal to God the Father. But as you read your Bible, you will see what does Christ do? He submits to the will of the Father. He lives to have the Father honored and glorified. He submits according to the will of God. If you look at your handout, 1 John, not 1 John, but John 17, 4 and 5. Jesus proclaims for us to hear. Again, he's not speaking to us. He's speaking to God, but it is recorded. He's speaking for us so that you might know something about Christ. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. You could look at John 10, 30. You could look at John 8, 55 and on. Throughout the Word of God, it is clear that Christ is equal to the Father, that He has always existed with the Father, that God exists triune as Father, Son, and Spirit. And within that relationship, there is a submission. The Son submits to the Father. Look at uh, John 4, 34 is in your handout. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He says, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. The disciples come to Him and they say, Jesus, you sent us to get food. Aren't you hungry? This is when Jesus is with the woman at the well. He says, don't you need something to eat? And what Jesus says is, I am sustained by doing the will of the Father. That's what I live for. Not food. I came to do the will of my Father. I am here to accomplish His work. I gave other references. If you wanted to look at that and affirm that in the truth of Scripture, you can look at those other references. The truth that He has come to do the will of the Father. He declares it throughout. And Jesus is equal to the Father, but He lives in submission to the will of the Father. And He does so with joy and with unity. There is no division in Christ. Jesus is not grumbling. As God, Jesus always does the will of the Father. He loves the Father. He exists within the Father for the glory of the Father. And He is joyful in that. As Jesus is a man, He wrestles with what He must do. In the garden, we see Him full of anxiety. And He, he pleads with the Father. He says, if there is any other way, but what does he say? As a man, he says, not my will, but your will. Even in the lowest of moments, as a man, he, as God, functioned for the will of the Father. In love, equal, but submissive. Submission and authority in the Trinity displays the beauty of God. There is no division. Submission and authority within the Trinity is not a power struggle. It is not God the Father trying to get Jesus to do His will because Jesus is lesser than the Father. Jesus is equal to the Father. And He longs to do the will of the Father in love and unity. It is only sin that perverts in us what really displays the beauty of God Himself. Christian, you are not called to submit just because you are powerless and other people are powerful. You are called to submit that you might display the beauty of the Trinity. Perfect function and perfect unity according to the will and the plan and the purpose of the Father.
accomplished by the will and the plan and the purpose of Christ in perfect submission, in perfect love, in perfect power and authority. Submission is not a matter of only the powerful over the weak. It is a matter of the beauty of God who is righteous and holy in a way we can't understand, but in grace has given us truth that we can look at to see submission doesn't only exist in us. It exists in God. Submission doesn't only exist defined by sin. It exists defined by God and who He is. That the Son submits to the Father. This is one of the greatest declarations of the grace of Christ that He was willing to submit to the will of the Father, willing to purpose His own will and with the will of the Father to do it. In Philippians 2, 3-8, maybe you're very familiar with, I want to call you to remind you not of what this means for you to do, but what this means that Christ has done, right? That's the motivation of the Christian. You don't go to Philippians 2 to go, this is how I have to live. You go to be reminded how Christ has lived, that you might live likewise. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but with humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Though he was equal, He is God in deity. He humbled himself to become a man. He humbled himself to display who he is. He humbled himself that you might see the glory and the beauty of God, not by your own righteousness, but by through his righteousness. By his grace, he has died. He submitted himself obedient as a man, even to the point of death. He submitted to the will of the Father. And while that has much for us in the gospel, much for us in the truth, it also proclaims to us the truth that submission is not an evil creation of sin. Submission in the will of Christ, His submission to the Father, His obedience to die on the cross, is a forever declaration of love. That He has died that you would be saved. What appears to be the most evil abuse of authority What appears to be the Romans taking their power and the Jews taking their power and putting the only innocent man who ever lived to death and Christ submits. The world would cry out, why? Why would you submit? You are innocent. Even the people at the cross stand there before Jesus and what do they say? If you command all things, why don't you get yourself down from the cross? They mocked his submission. If you're so powerful, why would you submit to this? Why? Because He loves the Father. And because He loves you. Because He longed for creation to be restored to its natural order. He longs for better than the garden to be there. He longs for the glory of God to be proclaimed and known and seen and sung on a new earth and a new heavens where sin no longer exists. He desired to show himself not just holy and righteous, but merciful and gracious and just. And he does so through all creation. He displays it. And so we can take great hope to know that submission is not just a matter of power and authority. It is a matter of beauty and love. It is a matter that displays God in all things. And you might think, that's real, real, real cute. White, male, Protestant husband. Of course you love power and authority. Of course you want authority to consist. Of course the world would point and say, why do Christians want to keep this system? Because they have power. We don't know what's coming. But let me assure you, Christians have not always held power. They've always rested in the power of God. And God is faithful. And God is righteous. And it is not the lofty arguments of men. 
It is the glory and the wisdom of God that perseveres the church. And so I do not declare this because I'm a white male Protestant. I declare this because this is the truth of what God's word says. And as an elder, and as a human, and as anyone who recognizes the glory of God, I have no choice but to proclaim what he has said, no matter how men and women might receive it. There is also grave misunderstanding if we think that submission is used by Christians in order to incite or elevate their own power. Let me be very clear, point number three, that submission is not a Christian's goal for others. It is a command of their character. It is a command of how they must live. The nature of God's love is displayed in the submission of His people. God's people are called to be a submissive people. I think if you asked most people in the world, what characterizes Christianity? What should it be like? I think many people would answer love uh, because that's a pretty well-resounded message. Uh, But how many would answer submission to God? Surrender to the will of God. To live for what He has said. To humble ourselves to His authority. To learn to obey all that He has commanded. Christianity is not just about a generic form of love. It is about a surrender to the love and the will of God. And submission, please hear me clearly, submission is not just about wives and husbands. Submission is about the order of God in creation, and it is commanded for all Christians. All Christians are to live in a submissive character. All Christians are to live in a submissive character. They are to be submissive to the will of God. And the will of God is that they would often submit themselves to the will of others. Look at our passage, Ephesians 5. I'm going to start it at verse 19 for you. Ephesians 5:19. It says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What are Christians to be? They're to be those annoying couples that go, Oh, where do you want to eat? I don't know, baby. Where do you want to eat? Oh, I don't know. Where do you want to eat? Oh, I could wait forever just to know where you want to eat. Can somebody just choose where we eat? I'm starving, right? While we might mock it in frustration and anger, Uh, We also recognize what is going on there when couples do that. It is an act of love, and they're saying, I just want you to be happy. The problem with human relationships is often we don't know how we're going to be happy. I'm so hungry, I would eat anything. I don't know how I'm going to be happy. Can somebody just point me at food, right? So we get married, and then we start getting in that state more than like, I could wait forever to eat if you would just tell me. Now, I mean, Lauren and I, that's totally, you guys know us. That's totally where we live. We just... Oh, I just want to know what you want to know. We're like, can we just get food? Can we just eat some beans and rice and move on with our life? Can we just do this? But in many other ways, my wife surrenders her will to, to serve me and to honor me and to glorify me. And as a Christian, in many ways, I surrender my will. I say, I want her to be joyful. I want her to be happy. I want her to be pleased. And this isn't just commanded for husbands and wives. This is commanded for all Christians. Notice, before the commands of marriage come the commands to all Christians to submit to one another. You are called to be those who think first what serves the good and the benefit of others in the will of God. What would bring them joy and peace? What would encourage them? What would help them to persevere? It's actually a command of the church we looked at in Hebrews 10, that not to neglect the gathering together, but to love one another in such a way that we encourage one another toward the end till we see the day drawing near. Christians are commanded to be those who submit to one another. We are created to display the joy of God. We are to give preference to others. We are to lay down our will for the good of others in the same way Christ has. Right? So number one, as we understand submission as the natural position of man, as a beautiful display of the person of God, we also understand it is commanded to us to reflect Him in how we live together. 
As mankind is created in the image, mankind in perfection without sin will submit to the will of one another in the same way God submits to the will of the Father in Christ. Because they will know and be perfectly known. It won't be a struggle. There won't be the communication barriers. It won't be difficult because sin won't exist. And Christians are to struggle through all of that that exists now that we might reflect submission and love. But it is not limited to just a general sense, right? As Christians, we often want to do that. We, we love to recognize all people are sinners. I sin every day. We all sin. And then we ask, how have you sinned recently? What are you repenting of? Whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you getting all up in my business? I said all people sin. Why do you want to talk about my sin? Why do you want me to repent? Isn't it enough to just be general? Do I have to like, go after my own sin? Yeah, you got to put it to death. You've got to want it to be dead. And in the same way, we love general submission. Yeah, isn't it nice when people just kind of go, hey, you know what? I don't care. It's good. I, this, isn't, this isn't a matter of truth or false. This is a matter of preference. I would love to give you a preference. Let's go eat here. Let's go eat there. We love that. That's beautiful. It doesn't cost us anything. But that is not the, the only general commands. All Christians are called to live submissive with preference for others, and we are commanded under the authority of God to submit to authorities on earth to display the glory of His authority. Submission is not just about the unity of love. It is also about authority and uh, submissive relationships under that authority. And Christians declare that, that we are not fearful of the authority of God. We actually rest in the authority of God. And we do so by resting in His commands that He's given us to submit to authorities. So lastly on your handout, you see, and I put references there, Christians are commanded to submit to governing authorities. And you can look that up in Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, Titus 3. Christians are commanded to submit to church authorities. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 17. You could also look at other passages of Scripture, but those would be the most pointed direct of that. Christians are commanded to uh, submit in the most difficult of labor relationships. As you look at the Bible, there's not a command of, hey, Christian, submit to the employer that you're under contract with. Unless you want to get out of it, just give a two-week notice, right? That's not what Ephesians or Colossians or anything says. It says slaves. You Christians who are legally owned under the system of the world by another, submit your will to them out of reverence for Christ. Live for them. Live for them to be financially purposed and profitable, for them to be joyful, for you to be their servant, because you know Christ has served you. And there is also in other places, Paul says, and if you can be free, then very much so pursue to be free. But if you can't, you forever display the glory of God, that you are willing to submit even in suffering to the will of another for his glory. Our problem is not we take too uh, strong of a view on submission. It's that we have too light of a view. The word of God proclaims submission in such a way that we should be a people who are far more submissive to what he has commanded. He also has us in relationships of family that we'll look at over the next couple weeks. Relationships of wives to husband and children to parents. And this should be the goal of us as Christians. We should be those who long to learn to serve better. So this is what I want to encourage you in as you think about this basic foundational theology of submission. In the coming weeks, as we look at wives submitting to husbands, husbands, please hear me, husbands, please, husbands. This is not two weeks for you to get a better wife at church. It's not two weeks for you to use your power and authority. Because if you listen to Ephesians 22 and 21 and, and uh, 21 and 22 and 23, these passages, and you just think, oh, good, you know, she's going to get what she needs. Oh, just wait. Just wait for Ephesians 5 to declare what you need. This is not about just getting better marriages. This is not about just having what we want in life. This is about learning to submit to the will of God in all things to surrendering to Him. When He says something, we want to hear it and we want to say that is what is true, that is what is holy, and that is what is right. And I need to understand how to live that out. So men, I plead with you, do not make submission jokes. It's not funny. It's not funny. It is mocking the design of God. 
You are mocking the design of God and acting as though you are God. Don't do it. It's not funny. Listen and hear, thinking about that God has not called you to be God over all people or anyone. He has called you to be responsible to lead in such a way as Daniel proclaimed that your wife would joyfully submit to you. She will never perfectly and she will never fully enjoy because you are flawed. But you are called to strive for that. And you need to recognize that if you long for a wife that honors God and glorifies him in submission, your life should reflect that in the areas you're called to submit. What's your relationship to your boss? What's your relationship to those who have authority over you? Do you respond to them in the way that your heart wants your wife to respond? Or do you respond to them in the way that your wife does respond? Because you have exemplified for her what submission looks like. There's great responsibility for us as Christians. The same goes for all of us as we talk about children. How do you approach the discipline of your children? And what do you want out of that? Does your life reflect receiving discipline in the same way? Hearing the authority of God and responding in the same way? It's easy for us to take this true theology and say, man, we can just apply this to the world. But this is street level for us, Faith Bible. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at things that should dramatically affect our hearts in repentance and faith, in seeing areas we need to change and we need to be transformed and we need His grace, and in faith trusting that He does that to His people. And I am so thankful for the examples He has given in our church that He has accomplished that in many. It's my prayer over the next few weeks as we look at this display of beauty in submission in the family and God's design that we would be an encouragement to one another. Don't just wait for Sundays. Read it. Encourage one another. Uh, continue to read it in Colossians. And encourage one another on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Let us not just hear it this morning and say, hey, that was great. The world really needs that message. Let us hear it and say, how are we going to live to glorify God in all things? And understand submission rightly, that he might be exalted as the authority over all things. Let's pray that God would be so faithful, as he is faithful, to display that in us. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is good and faithful in all things. I thank you, Father, that you can use frail creatures to accomplish your will. I pray, Lord, you would use us. I pray that we would be uh, glorifying to you in all of our relationships. I pray that you would help us in our marriages, uh, in our work relationships with our neighbors. Father, I pray that you would help us as we wrestle through what does it mean to submit to government and to employers and to one another and to husbands. I pray, Lord, you would give us grace that we would do so and pursue to do so in a way that would honor you and glorify you, that your name would be praised in our valley, that our lives lived in reverence for you would not exalt us, but that many would hear the truth of the gospel and respond. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.